Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. up our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, as, as you turn there, I just want to kind of remind everybody, uh, we talked about our Discovering Willow class in the announcements. If you're looking uh, to make this place your home or to find out more information about Willow Ridge Church, uh, but we're, ex- we're excited about the new season uh, that, that awaits us in the life of our church, right? Like, so conversations we're having right now, we're figuring out, giving details about is the importance of our small groups and how we're regathering with them back in the fall. Uh, conversations about baptism as we've seen people give their life to the Lord over these last several months. And so the encouraging part for me, right, is, is the movement and the work of God is continuing on, and, and we're continuing to push forward with that. So I want to thank you guys, whether you're here joining us or whether you're at home uh, joining us as we push forth uh, to be obedient to God together. So the, the parable that we are going to look at this morning is the parable of the wise and the foolish builder. And it's important that we know, the, like, like every parable that we've talked about in this series, the context in which Jesus gives this parable. This parable that Jesus shares is at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. All right, so Jesus has been out doing some stuff. Matthew chapter 4 tells us that Jesus had been going into the synagogues and teaching. It tells us that he had been out proclaiming the gospel. And so that from the, whether it's in the the synagogue, whether it's out into the streets, the message that Jesus is teaching is different than any message that they've heard before. You know, Jesus is, is, is surrounded by religious people. Jesus is surrounded by a people who it's been ingrained in them of what to do. But as Jesus comes and shares something, it's a new message that they're not familiar with. But then it also tells us that Jesus has been already performing miracles, that Jesus has been healing people. And so what is beginning to happen very early on in the stages of Jesus's life, that there's this large gathering that surrounds Jesus whenever he goes somewhere. In that, in that group that is surrounding with, with Jesus, there's the, the group of people who are his disciples. Jesus has already started to call that close group that's going to follow him. There's another group, while they're not in that inner circle, but they've committed their lives to, to seeking after Christ, and they're following him as well. But an interesting dynamic that we also find in this group that follows Jesus is there's uh, the skeptics, there's the critics, and there's the curious. So even as Jesus goes, right, they've heard stories of the things that Jesus has taught. They've maybe even been in the synagogue when Jesus begins to teach, and they think, wait a minute, that's different than what all the other teachers are saying. They've heard about the miracles that he's, that he's performed. And so they too begin to follow Jesus, not necessarily to follow him and surrender their life, but following out of curiosity. What is he going to say next? What is he going to do next? Whether their hearts are intrigued by him or whether they're disgusted by him because they disagree. And so the setting that we find ourselves at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus is on the side of a hill and he looks around and he sees that the crowd is great around him. And so Jesus sits down and he begins to give the Sermon on the Mount. 
And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the the longest recorded sermon in Scripture that Jesus gives, he does like a lot of teachers or communicators or or pastors do. He he ends it with a story. And it's the parable that we're going to look at this morning. And so let's look at Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Jesus concludes this long sermon with this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So everyone who has heard this story of Jesus has all heard the same words. They've all sat through it. They've heard Jesus talk about prayer. They've heard him talk about fasting. They've all heard him talk about divorce. They've heard him talk about what it means to be blessed. They've all heard him talk about retaliation. Regardless if they're a committed disciple or they're a distant skeptic, everyone who has come and sat on the side of this hill and listened to the words of Jesus have all heard the exact same thing. And so Jesus begins to tell a story about two men who find themselves in the exact same situation, who find themselves with the exact same knowledge, but choose to do something different based off of the same information. And so Jesus says, as you've all sat here, and as you've all heard these words of mine, it's like two builders One builder who builds his house and builds his house on the rock. And the storms would come, but the house would stand. But there's a foolish builder. And the foolish builder does not build his house on the rock. Instead, he builds his house on the sand. And the wind comes and the rain comes and the floods come. The same one that came to the other. And his house falls. Well, one is wise and one is foolish. And what makes one wise? And one foolish, their willingness to do what they have been told and they have commanded to do. And what we begin to find in this parable of what Jesus teaches is that when the storms come, they will reveal the quality of the work. That when the same storms come to you, when the same storms come to me, what's going to happen in our life is the storms of life are going to reveal the quality of the work of the foundation in which the house or the life is built on. So let's understand this story that that Jesus tells. One says one built on the rock, one says one built on the sand. Well, here's the truth. When you would look at both of the houses, they both would appear to having been built on the sand. So let's, let's talk about this sand in the Middle East in the area in which Jesus lives. 
we're not thinking about sand like I have in my backyard. You know, one of the things about living in Lexington is depending on what side of Lexington you live, right? You either have clay that's impossible to dig through, or you have sand, which is very easy to dig through, right? Now, I have sand at my house, and so when it comes time to dig, it's very, very easy to dig through that sand. That's not the sand that Jesus talks about here. The sand that Jesus talks about here is is desert sand that experiences floods. Well, when the floodwaters would come and mix with the sand and then the sun would begin to bake on the sand, guess what would happen? That sand would turn into almost like concrete. If you're here with us at church, almost like the tile floor that, that, you, that you guys are, are, are sitting on today, that level of, of hardness would be the level what the sand would be. So you're there, and you're going to build your house. Well, you have to make a choice. Do I choose to, to dig through the sand? Do I choose to, to get out my tools that are possibly going to break? Do I choose to go through the back-breaking work in order to get the firm foundation, or do I just build on top of it? It's hard. It'll withstand. So one man chooses to do the hard work, and one man chooses to do it his way. Well, what would happen during this time is, like we said, it would be common to rain, be common to flood. This area that Jesus was speaking in that people would understand would have been in a valley. And so what you and I would consider a light rain, but it would rain over time. And not only would the rain that fell from the sky land there, but the rain that would come into the mountains would would channel and would funnel. And what at one point in time looked like dry land would all of a sudden become like a river. And what would happen is that hard, packed down sand that felt like concrete would now turn into mush. And the house that was built on the sand would blow away. And so what we begin to see is that Jesus says, look, there's one man who does it the wise way, who does it the way that he's been told to do, but there's another man who does it his own way, who does it the way that he wants to. So Jesus looks at this group of people at the very beginning and says, you've heard these words of mine. You've heard everything that I have to say. You're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to do it your way? Or are you going to do it the way that I'm calling you to? It's important for us to know Jesus both defines wisdom and foolishness in this passage of Scripture. You see, for Jesus, wisdom is knowledge and obedience. For so many of us, we think that wisdom is just knowing something. Well, if I know this, then that makes me wise. But when it comes to biblical application of Scripture and what God is calling us to, wisdom is more than just knowing. Jesus says, no, no, no. Wisdom is about knowing these words of mine and putting them into practice like the wise man who built his house on the rock. But then Jesus also defines foolishness. You see, there's a difference between foolishness and ignorance. Because foolishness is knowing but being disobedient. Jesus says, but the foolish man is the one who hears the words of mine and doesn't put them into practice. 
So you know what you're supposed to do, but as it resonates in your heart, as you process through it in your mind, you decide, no, 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 Jesus, my way is better. This is how I'm going to approach it. This is what I want to do. And so foolishness wrestles with not what we feel, not what we want, not what we've been taught by others, but wisdom is what has Jesus called us, commanded us, and desired for us to do. And church, as, the, as we go through this every single week, as we journey through Scripture and understanding God's standard for our life, what we find, what rang true almost 2,000 years ago that rings true today is that as the body and as the people of Christ, what he calls us to do is to be different. That within the course of our obedience to God, that we're going to have to do things differently than the way we feel like we want to do them. That we're going to have to do things differently than the way that we want to do them. That we may even have to do things differently than how others tell us we should do them. And it's been the heart of everything Jesus has gone through and has taught through them in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to begin to lay out for them what following him looks like. And what following him looks like, and I think we as the church, we sometimes skate around this and want to ignore this. Following Jesus isn't easy. Following Jesus is going to be difficult. Following Jesus is going to be hard work. Following Jesus is going to be a commitment. Because Jesus says, it's following me is like the wise man that puts in the work. That it's like the wise man that does the, does the hard stuff. It's like the wise man that pushes through, not like the foolish man who was done in a day. Not like the foolish man who said, well, this is easy. Well, not like the foolish man who said, well, this is how I feel. But the wise man who took the words of Jesus and applied them to his life. Now, several years ago, I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, all right? And that, it took me about 18 weeks to preach through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, what I want to do is I want to preach through the Sermon on the Mount, but this time do it in about 18 minutes, okay? So pray for me as we kind of go through this. Because it's important. Jesus starts it out with by saying, these words of mine. So everything he's built on from that moment rests in the understanding of this parable. From that I'm going to, now that you know these things, now that this has been entrusted to you, whether you're the skeptic, whether you're a disciple, if you're going to be in relationship with me, if you want to be wise, if you want to live in the life that glorifies God, then this is what this looks like on a day-to-day -day basis in your life. And the problem with everybody in the crowd 2,000 years ago is the same problem with everybody in the crowd today. It goes against a lot of the things that we feel, it goes against a lot of the things that we want, and it even goes against a lot of the things that others teach us and tell us to do. The gospel so many times comes into conflict with what my sinful self still wants to do and still wants to pursue. 
And so what I want us to look at is just an overview, right? We're not going to read it all. We're just going to look at an overview of the four large areas that I think that Jesus attacks in this moment, in the Sermon on the Mount, that says, look, if you want to put these words into place, here's what this looks like. And it's going to speak against our culture. And it's going to speak against, for so many of us, what comes natural to us. The first thing is the theme of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus commands is this that we are to fight sin and love others. Now, I'll be honest with you. If we flip around a couple of words, it's where our sinful hearts want to push us to. Our sinful hearts want us to not fight sin and love others. Our sinful hearts want us to love sin and fight others. That can become our tendency in life. The sin feels good, you're difficult, right? This is what I want, I don't want any part of that. But Jesus is going to speak to the core of this. Jesus is going to teach things throughout the Sermon on the Mount and throughout of his life and what we're going to see in Scripture that says that you and I, as his followers in relationships, when we come into conflict, do you know what we're supposed to do? Jesus says we reconcile. We reconcile. That that is the heart and the desire and the pursuit and the action of a believer. That when I'm done wrong by you and when you're done wrong by me, the working nature of what God has called us to is to reconcile. Jesus tells us crazy things when it comes to fighting sin. Like if lust is an issue, destroy whatever is causing you to lust. The example that Jesus gives in Scripture is this. Hey, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Now, did Jesus literally mean that? I think yes. I think Jesus meant whatever causes you to fall into patterns of sin, destroy it before it destroys you. What if it was this? Would you, I mean, are we so committed to following Jesus that if, that if a piece of technology causes us to stumble, would we be willing to, to lay it down and take a hammer to it? What if it was whatever streaming service you're a part of, would, would, we, would we delete it? Would we cancel it? Would we sit down and have the boldness to sit down with our spouse and our kids and say, look, this causes me to go here, and I don't need to go here, and so for the betterment of my walk and for my family, it needs to be gone. Would we be willing to go into work tomorrow and sit down with our boss and say, look, I got I to gotta share something. There's an individual here who I'm in a relationship with, and it's not God-honoring, and it's not glorifying, and if I'm even married, it's not glorifying it, and so I'm done. I'm done. Like, but that's crazy. That's insane. Jesus would never expect that. He, I, I'm still paying on my iPhone. Why would I break it? I don't know. He says, if your eye causes you gouge it out, I think he takes this stuff pretty serious. That fight sin, love others. In a world in which we're taught to press back when others press on us, Jesus says, if someone slaps you in the face, don't hit them back. Give them the other cheek. Now, here's the, the words that Jesus uses is this. 
if you punch me, I think I can handle that. These aren't Jesus' words. These are my words real quick, all right? If you punch me, I think I can handle that. The words that Jesus uses is this. If someone backhands you, right? Now, the point of backhanding anything is to both show power and dominance and to embarrass the person that you're doing that to. So Jesus says, if someone backhands you, turn the other cheek so that when they come back by, they can just hit you again. And then you do nothing. But stand up for yourself. But defend yourself. And Jesus says, no, it's, 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 it's bigger than that. We fight sin. We love others. The, the, the second thing that's a big thing that Jesus talks about in this is he addresses the comfort of the people who are around him. Jesus speaks to the very heart of what they long for and for what they want in their lives. And, and here's what I want to speak to. There may not be a more unlike Christ-like characteristic that the church embodies any more so than entitlement. And that when we as Christians feel entitled as people, as this is what we deserve, that this is what is owed to us, that I deserve to always get what I want, that I always deserve to get what I feel like is mine, and Jesus is going to speak to the heart of that as believers. And he says, no, 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 we're going to speak to comfort. And at the very beginning, Jesus says that it has got to be within us that what we desire for, what we long for, and what we pursue is sacrifice, the complete opposite of entitlement. That even though this is what I've been given, this is what I lay down before you. And so that in our lives, when we begin to manifest this and walk through this and play this out in our life, it means that we give to the needy, that those who are in need, that we looked at with the parable of the Good Samaritan, that that's in our heart and that's who we are, that we long to give to those from our abundance, from what we have, and even from our sacrifice so that others can have. Jesus speaks to comfort, and he addresses something that really wrestles with all of us, especially maybe right now as you're thinking about lunch. And Jesus says, no, we got to fast. we got to fast. Because we've got to say that our own personal comfort is nothing like the depth of the relationship with God when I depend on him. As we think about our comfort, I think the last two are really going to ring true in what we're talking about and what we're living in in our days right now. And this is not me being pro or anti anything other than being pro the words of Jesus. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this, don't worry about your life. We get that. Don't worry about your life. Jesus says it's in God's hands. It's in control. Now, we're not called to be foolish, but Jesus says, don't worry. I've got this. I know the number of your days, and I have you here for a plan and for a purpose. It's a big thing that we're battling right now. Don't worry doesn't mean be careless. Don't worry means trust God. Jesus says, look, as a command, don't be anxious. I want to say this because I had a conversation even with somebody after our first service. 
I know what anxiety feels like. I know what depression feels like. The scariest day of my life was about 12 years ago. I walked up, was in a season of stress like I hadn't at that point in time ever experienced before. Walked up onto the stage Sunday morning to perform my job as a pastor. The lights cut on, I saw everyone in the audience. I saw the camera that we had cut on. And in the moment, all of the stress, all of the anxiety, all of the worry hit. And I went into a panic attack filled with anxiety like I'd never experienced before. And in the midst of the service, (laughs) I took off my mic pack, I handed it to my youth pastor, I said, whether you've got it or not, buddy, you've got this. I walked out the doors. I found an empty room. I got on the floor and wept like a baby. Somebody came in and they said, what do you need? I said, I just want my wife. Aaron came in there and just held me. I couldn't explain what I was going through. Went through counseling. Went to the hospital that day immediately. They thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, I wasn't having a heart attack. Uh, I think a heart attack would have been easier because at least we know what's going on. Found out later, going through counseling. Struggle with anxiety. So if you're like, I struggle with anxiety, let me tell you, I get it. I know. I've been there. I've done that. I've walked through but I can't ignore the fact that Jesus says, don't be anxious. That that's a command of God. And here's why. My heart breaks if you're someone who struggles with anxiety. My heart breaks for you. I've been there, and oftentimes I still find that I am there. But what Jesus wants you to say is, Lord, here's control. Everything that brought me to that point that morning on that floor was all of the things that I was trying to control. And I realized I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Jesus deals with our comfort. Jesus wants to deal with our prayer. Jesus is speaking to a religious group of people. They know prayer, but Jesus says, but I want your prayer to be different. I want to be different than it was before. And so Jesus begins to say, hey, this is what prayer looks like. It's rooted, it's beginned, and it's fulfilled fully, number one, in praise. Right? Like, our prayers begin by declaring the goodness and greatness of God. Right? I don't know about you, and I don't know how many people still do this, but um, you remember when you used to write love letters, right? There were some details that you had to get to, like, I'll see you after class, let's, let's go here, all those kind of things, right? But they kind of usually began with... Dear so-and-so, oh, I love you. You're so beautiful, right? And we'd end it with, I'm so lucky to be with you. And when we look at God, when we approach him in a depth that we've never communicated before, what he longs for and what frees our hearts is when it's rooted in praise, with the declaration of who he is. 
that, G, that, that God sent Jesus to redeem his people so that when we look forward in Revelation, what do we find? What's the end goal? What do we come to? We come to the praise and adoration of God, right? It's the closest thing to heaven on earth that we'll ever experience. And Jesus says that's what prayer's rooted in. But he also says that prayer is based in repentance, brokenness before him. Understand, we're not talking about confession, which is what we do a lot. God, here's what I've done, right? He knows. <laughs> he knows the list. But repentance, the true brokenness for what we've done, the true brokenness for the sorrow, and then desperately seeking his will, desperately seeking his will. And so Jesus begins to, to build on and build on and build on all of these things. But the last thing that we're going to look at, because I think it culturally impacts so much of who we are, is going to be what Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with, as Jesus addressed what it means to be blessed. To be blessed. Being blessed is a word that everyone uses, Right? Whether you're religious or not, whether you're a Christian or not, everybody wants to be blessed. No one hears the word blessing and thinks that's a bad thing. And if we were to poll everybody, we should get 100% of the people in here watching online should say, yeah, absolutely, I want to be blessed. But then the question is, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? And Jesus says at the very beginning on the Sermon on the Mount that being blessed means this. And it's going to be different. And it's going to mold you and shape you into something more than this world would ever have to offer. Because being blessed begins in a desperation for Christ. Being blessed means being desperate for him. Jesus is going to say that being blessed means being broken. You're like, well, I don't want to be broken, but being blessed means be broken for our sins. Being blessed means to be humble, not prideful, not what I deserve, not what I'm owed, not what you should give me, but being humble, not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Jesus says that being blessed means that we, we are desiring the righteousness of God above all things. Being blessed means that what I give is not retaliation, but what I give is mercy. Jesus says that being blessed means that the desire of my heart, of everything that I long for, is an inner moral purity. Jesus is dealing with a group of people who know how to do all of the right things. External moral purity is where they thrive. But Jesus says it has to begin here. And then Jesus says too, at the heart of the gospel, what must ring true in our lives, that blessed are the peacemakers. You see, Jesus came to bring peace, to reconcile. 
and of the heart of the gospel of what it plays out to in our lives and in our world and in our culture is this, that you and I having received, that you and I having been made new through the blood of Christ, that you and I who walk in the freedom and the power of the resurrection, that you and I, as this is where we find ourselves, if we're going to be peacemakers, then here's what it means to love God and to love others, that the heartbeat, the cry of our life is how do I bring peace between a holy God and a sinful man? And so we declare the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that all may hear and respond to his goodness and gracious. And we bring peace through that, but we not always, not also bring peace between God and man, but that we work as individuals that in our daily life to show that peace. And so what do we do? From the very beginning, we reconcile between each other. We reconcile between us. Because remember, Peter comes and says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77. No matter how many times we forgive, we forgive, we forgive. And I want to close with this. In Matthew 7, the commentary on the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, they understood that this man, that some of them who they didn't even know was God, has called them to something different than what the world had for them. And so they had to make a choice as they left. Would they be wise and put these words into practice? Or would they be foolish and continue to do them their own way? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this time and this opportunity that we could be here. Lord, the words that you give they cut to our heart. And the words you give are, are powerful. And they call us to be different. To set aside our agendas. To set aside our, our, our foolish ways. To set aside what we want. To set aside what we feel to set aside the way we oftentimes encourage each other to be, maybe even set aside the way that we were raised to be, but instead, Lord, to take your words and not to just know them, but to put them into practice at a depth of a, of a layer of obedience that is rested in and found in you and in you alone. Lord, I pray for every single one of us. Whether we are gathered in here, gathered at home, Lord, that today, whether directly or indirectly, we make a choice. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the first choice that you have to reconcile within yourself is this. Am I willing to trust Jesus? Am I willing to believe Jesus? 
Am I willing to surrender to him? Recognize him as Lord and Savior. Second choice is this. If you've done that, if that's who you are, you know him and are known by him and are found in him. Will you be like the wise man who built his house on the rock? Or will you be like the fool who chooses to do it your own way? Jesus, I pray for the hearts of the individuals in this room. We all have a decision to make. Lord, my prayer is that we would leave here surrendered to you, different because of you seeking obedience to you. In your name we pray, amen. In just a moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. I'm gonna be out in the hallway again like I was last week. If you want to come and talk to somebody about a relationship with Christ, I would love to talk with you, pray with you, encourage you, point you in the direction, explain to you the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. But church, these aren't just words. Every one of you, myself included, has a decision to make as we leave here today. We all know, we've all heard, are we going to obey? you stand as we worship and respond to him. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.